Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside DLU here as we look back to review K-State's loss 19-14 to the Texas Longhorns last Saturday in Manhattan, Kansas and look ahead to K-State's upcoming road game against the Baylor Bears this Saturday in Waco. It'll be a 2.30 kickoff. K-State enters the game at about a four, four and a half point underdog. Be a tough task for K-State as they head back out on the road for the second time this season. Uh, but a, a definitely a game that will be winnable. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, review Texas, preview Baylor. Then we're going to get into uh, you know some of our favorite topics here as we uh, preview another Wildcat legend. And also ha- answer your questions and ask the icon. Dilo, how are we doing today? Chris, I've never been better. Today's the best day of my life. Why is, why is that? Because it, it's, a, it's a new day, and hope springs eternal, and I think, uh, I think our cat's got a good chance this weekend. So, um, yeah, number one. Number one. Well, hey, that's a, that's a great attitude to have. Uh, we'll, uh, like as, as I was saying here, we're going to go ahead and get into uh, the review of the Texas game. Uh, of course, K-State comes up short uh, to the Texas Longhorns, 19-14. to K-State was shut out in the first half, uh, you know, pretty ineffective uh, on the on the offensive side of the ball, not really getting into Texas's uh, territory until late uh, in that in that first half. Uh, Alex Dalton got the start at quarterback. Uh, kind of talk about what you saw here in the first half of, of that game. Well, I saw a team that was again struggling to have any kind of identity. A team that we saw all season that can't run the ball and can't pass the ball and. Uh, one of those two, you got to have at least one of those two things on offense uh, to work if you want to uh, score. And so we saw uh, really until the end, that last drive of the first half, it was just hapless. It was the same issues we've been seeing all season, particularly in the West Virginia game um, and the Mississippi State game and uh, most of the South Dakota game. There's it's, there's a theme that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing yeah. to pick up here. We you know the UTSA game though we looked like oh the, we were like, like a New, Ferrari man we looked like the New York Jets out there uh, yeah we really did um, but no the first half is was um, not only was the offense not working but there were special teams breakdowns um, and just couldn't move the ball it was we weren't really trying to stretch the field vertically until that last drive it was mostly the the intermediate. Um, side-to-side lateral uh, passes. And then Barnes wasn't, either he wasn't, he just was ineffective, whether that was a product of blocking or his own running or defensive schemes or or some combination of the three. Um, It just wasn't working, and it was clear to me that that we would have been well-served to challenge Texas down the field more in the first half. And that's, you know, when, when we did have success on that last drive, you can go back and you'll notice that um, it, it was when we actually let Delton throw down the field more and put pressure on the Texas secondary. Yep. Um, yep. There was a big pass interference call there that, absolutely. you know, is it saying a lot, but for our offense in the first half, 15 yards was a significant portion of our total yardage. I think we had, what, roughly 60 yards of total offense in the first half? Yeah, you know, K-State uh, finishes that game – uh, not not doing much offensively even after that outgained 339 uh, by Texas to 217. So you know 122 yards of of disparity there 
also K-State didn't win the time of possession battle. Uh, did did get 17 first downs. I believe uh, 12 of those came in the second half. So uh, some marked improvement there uh, from in comparison to the first half, I would say. I don't think anyone could really argue that. Uh, I wanted to go back, though, to that, that last drive of the first half. Uh, a couple things stood out to me there. Um, of course, the, the pass interference call. But that was also a drive that was set up due to a nice tackle for loss on a on a on a play there by uh, by the K State defense. Uh, Eli Walker finishing off the tackle that really gave some K State some great field position coming after the punt uh, from from Texas. Uh, one that K State uh, got some good pressure on, but Texas was able to get away, set up a short field. K State started that drive uh, well inside uh, Texas territory and didn't have too far to march it uh, to get inside the red zone, but. Uh, once again, once they got inside the red zone, they came away with no points. Uh, of course, in the last play of the first half, a pass goes off the hands of, of Adam Harder, and K-State goes in the locker room 19-0. So at that point of the game, Drew, K-State's down 19-0 going in, going to the locker room. K-State receives the ball to start the second half. What's, I, I'm curious what your thoughts were on the outlook of the game at that point. I mean, obviously, no one would have thought that K-State was going to going to win that game down 19 nothing uh but I wanted to hear I want to hear what your thoughts were going into halftime there well I think going into halftime it was probably the low point of the season so far just because we got overmatched in really all three phases of the game in the first half I mean the defense you can say that they actually played okay in the first half they gave up one touchdown um but then again they didn't they had to, they were drive short because of the uh punt return and so it was you're seeing what is probably a the third best team in the conference coming into your house and you're down three scores in a half and so at halftime it's it's dismal and ugly and you're thinking well we're just gonna get blown out this is gonna be a replay of the West Virginia game um and so no, I had very little hope. I my uh, my outlook was not good, even though, like we talked about last week, that's pretty much what we expected to happen. Uh, maybe not to that degree, um, but it was about as unimpressive a half as as we've played all season, including uh, those against uh, West Virginia and Mississippi State. Well, and that's I mean that's hard to argue with. Uh, I would have said that going into halftime down nineteen nothing. Uh, not really knowing what we were going to see in the second half in terms of who was going to play quarterback. Was it going to be Dalton? Uh, was Thompson going to come in uh, to try to provide uh, some sort of a spark for the offense? And uh, I was honestly thinking to myself, there's literally no way K-State can come back in this game because I can't see any scenario where they scored 21 points. Yeah, I mean... In, in the sec- I mean, I, And that's crazy to think that in the Big 12, you know, with the... Of course, you know, the the narrative that, oh, no one in the Big 12 plays any defense. It's all just offense. But scoring 21 points in a half just seems like, insurmountable it, lead. It, like an insurmountable yeah. lead. It's, it's kind of where this offense is at this point. And I, as we're kind of transitioning here to look at the second half, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the defense in the first half. You see, you know, 19 points, not a great – uh, total there, but seven of those come off of a 
off of a touchdown uh, on a punt return by a Texas, 90-yard punt return for a touchdown. I thought the defense played pretty well in the first half, and then I thought they were you know, pretty well stellar in the second half. Oh, yeah. I, I think the defense probably had their best game of the season. I think Hughes really uh, really separated himself is, in my opinion, the best healthy linebacker on the team. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and not to, uh, not to interrupt you here, but uh, it sounds like uh, Elijah Sullivan, he did not play at all against Texas. Sounds like it's going to be a continual, uh, maybe a multi-week injury for him going forward. So Justin Hughes will continue. It'll be Justin Hughes and Daquan Patton is what you'd expect to see uh, most of the most of the getting most of the reps out there at linebacker. You hope it's that duo. Um, no disrespect to Mr. Sizelove, but uh, Patton, I'm I've been less and less impressed with him mm-hmm. as the season goes sure. on. But granted, um, I think the defense played. Probably their best game of the year um, throughout this game, uh, especially when you take into consideration the second half. Uh, the secondary was sharp. I think uh, Reggie Walker had a great game, and uh, Duke especially uh, was out there. I thought he had a really nice game himself too. And so you, you're starting to see the these guys on uh, the defense step up, and you start – you squint your eyes hard enough, you're like, oh, this is maybe one of the better units in the Big 12. Um, and dare I say, Icon, I think the lynch mob is back after a short hiatus. I think that... They're peeking their head out. They're, 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 they're showing themselves. I, I thought that against West Virginia, they, they played pretty poorly for 55, the latter 55% of that game. But uh, this week, I think they're, they're peeking their head out, and I'm... I'm gonna come out right out and say it. I, I'm I'm all in on the mob. Okay, well that's that's a it's quite the vote of confidence there for that defense. I'm sure you know. I'm sure Kendall Adams, Reggie Walker, Trey Deshaun. I think they listen to the podcast. This this has to give them some extra motivation. Going. Yeah, absolutely. They should have a nice bit of confidence after that last performance because really, I mean, they pitched a shutout in the second half, and like you mentioned, they were really only responsible for ten points in that first half, and so defense did. Uh, more than enough to win this game. Um, but yeah, if you, I mean, in terms of what the defense allowed, they, uh, of course, allowed 10 points, seven off the punt return, two off of an Alex Delton safety. You hold Texas to 10 points of offense. You got to like your chances. Yeah, absolutely. But when you have an offense that was stuck in, I would say neutral, but it was like rolling down hill like rolling i guess backwards in neutral not not you weren't rolling uphill well in the first half the offense actually gave up points when you consider the safety and so uh, i think neutral would be putting it charitably i think reverse um is probably the more accurate uh gear uh that our offensive uh car was in in the first half but uh no defense excellent job high marks for uh for across the board, I thought all three layers played a, a very nice game. One thing I do have concerns about with the defense is the lack of depth, the uh, the injuries that have that have floated around. Of course, uh, um, Elijah Sullivan not able to give it a go uh, last Saturday. Uh, there was a fair amount of talk that. Uh, that Kendall Adams was not going to be able to give it a go, but he played and he played quite a bit. Uh, so you got to give credit to the uh, those guys that are fat or that are battling through injuries, fighting through injuries, 
uh, going out there and giving it a go. It it uh, they and you know not only did they give it a go, they played well uh, up and down the, up and down the field. Yeah, and one guy I, I didn't mention was Eli Walker. That, that, that was the guy who I was going to mention next. Yeah, I mean he he went out there and eleven tackles. I mean, granted, you don't love it when members your safety, of your secondary yeah, is sure. are, are getting those that amount of tackles, but he's a he just flies around the field, and I've I've really come to enjoy watching him play this year. Absolutely, he's been a definite bright spot on that defense uh, so far this season. So as we as we kind of transition here into the second half of the game, quite frankly, I think this was K State's best half of football all season. Uh, definitely on the offensive side of the ball, uh, a, a huge improvement over the first half. But unfortunately for K State, they only have 14 points to show for, uh, for for that half of football, and it just quite frankly wasn't enough to get the job done today. Yeah, I mean it's uh, the it's telling when in game what that, that's game five. Yep, game five that. Uh, our best half on offense nets 14 points. Well, I mean, um, granted, we obviously we scored more against sure, UTSA. Sure, and, You know, but in terms of the level of competition. Absolutely. And, and your point's well taken that we actually looked like we had an identity um, on offense uh, in the second half where it was just, all right, we're going to take some shots downfield. We're going to be aggressive with the passing game. Uh, mix in some intermediate routes, but we're really going to try to get routes more than around or more than 15 yards and I think that's where we had our best success especially on that first drive in the second half um I mean even when the plays weren't successful for instance when Jordy had that drop Mm. over on the uh west sideline it was uh you know it that play still even though it doesn't net you yards it's beneficial because it shows that threat it shows a willingness. To yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so absolutely. that opens up. That's passing to open up the run, which this team is going to have to do, um, because the run game, for all intents and purposes, it's established the moment our offense walks on the field. And so the threat is the passing game immediately. And so, long story short, Barnes was a running better in the second half. He was running. Much harder, it looked like he was. He had a few runs that were shades of freshman year Alex Barnes, um, and Skyler was an improvement over uh, Delton in the first half. I mean, Skyler was still eight of eighteen, I think, so not exactly lighting up uh, the charts, but um, had a had a more efficient day at quarterback than than Alex did. Well, unfortunately, that's. Not a too high of a bar to cross after that first half. Um, one thing I do want to mention too, and I you know noticing watching the game live, and then as well watching uh, replay of the game and, and looking at the film, thought the offense moved with much better tempo in the second half. How did how did you see that? Yeah, when I in the second half when I was going back and rewatching it, I was having uh, in the first half I could do the uh, jump up on mm-hmm. the, the 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 fifteen. 20 seconds forwards or whatever it is on the DVR. Uh, in the second half, I was missing some snaps when I was doing that, so I was yep, having to loop that, back. That tells you all you need to know. Yeah, no, I think we were snapping the ball the majority of the time in the second half uh, with about 20 seconds left. I wasn't I didn't, wasn't charting it, but it seemed like we were moving with some more urgency, which, I mean, obviously we had to do because we couldn't afford to be having six- or seven-minute drives 
Um, yeah, when you need when you need three touchdowns and you know probably more than that too, when you think that you're going into that you're not going to be able to shut out Texas going in uh, or for the entire second half. You know you're going to have to probably score 28 points to win that game, and when you have four drives of you know six minutes, five minutes each, that doesn't leave you a whole lot of time there. Yeah, and it's an interesting thought as to whether or not that's Skyler um, governing that or whether that's uh, a coaching uh, decision to say, hey, let's get up and uh, don't don't worry so much about the check with me stuff. Don't worry so much about the pre-snap yeah. checks. Um, just get up there, run the play in a not, you know, not at an organ type level, that kind of speed, but certainly uh, faster than K-State fans are used to seeing. Sure. So let's let's kind of go back in time here to the start of the game. Alex Dalton gets to start at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Something we covered on last week's podcast. What's were your impressions after seeing, you know, obviously not a great performance by him, probably cost K-State the game, that if they would have gone to Thompson to start the game, they'd probably have a little bit more success the first half. How do you see that? Yeah, it's hard to go back and it's hard to play revised what, yeah, history. Exactly. Um, it's hard to play what-ifs. But, but no, it, it's clear that K-State's offense was, uh, in the first half, was largely responsible uh, for – K-State's loss, and it's easy to say, well, what was the difference in the first half? And then you go and look at, well, we put Skylar Thompson in in the second half. Could that have been the difference? And I think it obviously was. I mean, it's at, at this point, it's so clear that for whatever reason, uh, whether it's defenses adjusting, whether it's just a better quarterback, uh, or whether it's some kind of effect on the other the other players on offense, it the offense works better with Thompson. It's that's a truism. That's an objective fact this season. It fewer turnovers and more efficient. Um, and so it's it's clear to me that it's inexcusable to let Delton have any role on this offense moving forward, save for some gimmicky one series. If if you think that you can, if, if there's ground to be made with some kind of wildcat scheme. Yeah, so last week I I had said that I thought Alex Dalton gave K-State the best chance to win this game, and I went as far as saying that he would give K-State the best chance to, to win the most games this season. I think that that was the wrong statement to make at that point. Well, it's very big of you it's to recognize big. that your, your prior viewpoint was wrong about this. You think that might be nice uh, if maybe someone else said that? Yeah, it would have been nice if Bill Snyder said that. It's so, obvious to everybody else, every other K-State fan, every other member of the media, including us, by the way, because yeah, we right. are, of course, yeah. members of the media. Um, but no, it, it's so frustrating that the only guy, the one guy that can control this thing, doesn't recognize what's so obvious. And so it's, it's clear, uh, yeah, to answer your question, yes, K-State's offense worked better in the second half because Skylar Thompson was the quarterback. And, you know, no, he didn't have great numbers, but he did throw 18 passes in the second half alone, which mm-hmm. is quite a few for a yeah. Bill Snyder offense. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so Barnes, he was better in the second half. He finished with uh, 80 yards on Saturday. And when I was looking at that last drive of the first half, one thing I thought was kind of interesting, 
Um, granted, we started at what the thirty-eight yard line or something. Yeah. Def- deep inside, deep inside Texas territory. We ran uh, eight or nine plays, I believe. Eight plays, uh, no runs by Alex Barnes. They were all Alex Delton runs. Mm-hmm. And so it's maybe that's coaches recognizing that hey Barnes isn't getting any room. We need the extra blockers so we can have some kind of run game. So let's let the quarterback run it. But uh, it was ineffective. It didn't. It, it got us to the goal line. So it was our best yeah. drive of the first half. Granted, it only went thirty-seven yards. Sure. But uh, so my point is, yeah, Barnes works better with Thompson, and the passing game obviously works better with Thompson. So what does Delton give us that Thompson doesn't at this point? Hard to argue. Hard to argue. And, you know, it, it, maybe I'm putting the cart before the horse here, but Tom, but Snyder's uh, comments in the postgame and today uh, during his press conference, confounding. What did you make of those? Yeah, confounding is a pretty good word uh, to, to say. I... I I was very surprised. Well, you know, maybe I wasn't surprised. I, it's really like, like you said, confounding because uh, I'm sitting in the car. We're listening to uh, the post game show, and question was asked: Do you, do you wish you would have, having seen what you saw from Skylar Thompson in the second half? Do you wish you would have gone to him sooner? A simple one word no uh, was the was the response from Coach Snyder. Um, can't quite understand that answer. From from what you saw in the first half to what you saw in the second half, just a flat no seemed seemed a little bit uh, a little bit harsh and a little uh, left left my head scratching to say the least. Yeah, and you know it's when I was rewatching the Texas game, it's in throughout the West Virginia game and certainly against Baylor, which we'll get into later. But the MO on K-State's offense is defenses are going to blitz like crazy. Because one thing K-State hasn't proven is their ability to really punish you for blitzing. Mm -hmm. So when Delton is in, you have the linebackers cheating on the run because there's nothing's bad, nothing bad is gonna happen because there's a fair chance, better than average chance, probably 65% chance that K-State's running. And so you're either going to stuff that, or if Kay's, if Delton does drop back and pass, he's going to panic immediately. And even if he doesn't panic, you're he's more not, than you're more than willing to live with that. Yeah, you're you're take roll the dice and play one on one downfield, and you're probably going to be safe. And so that's what Texas did, and Thompson was able to burn them on that some, and made them change their philosophy and blitz less. And so uh, that opens it up for Barnes. K-State had some success throwing the ball in the second half, which, you know, we looked at the numbers heading in. Texas was much better uh, in terms of what they've done this season against the run than what they were against the pass. So I think what Coach Snyder was uh, was trying to do with starting Alex Delton, I'm just I'm putting myself in his shoes. I'm trying to Trying to understand this from his perspective. Put yourself but, in his Cortez's. That's baby. right. That's right. I, it, until I can put myself in his Cortez's, uh, I don't know what Cortez I. Cor, Cor, maybe that's the correct. Corte. Uh, all, all good questions. Maybe I'm uh, thinking. I'll write a letter to uh, Nike and yeah, we'll see what figure the this out. see what the correct term is there. But 
I think what he was trying to do was just let's shorten the game, control the ball as much as we can, and you know try to do what we did in 2010 in terms of just you know I think we threw the ball four times that game against against Texas. Now, granted, we were helped out by five Texas interceptions in that game, which uh, which is always helpful when you get that. But it was a you know offensively. The game plan, I think, with Delton was we're going to shorten this game. We're going to try to control the ball. We're going to try to you know limit limit possessions by Texas and, and try to win it ugly. And Texas didn't really have any trouble stopping our run game, and it really led to you know a, a deep hole for K State. Yeah, and that game plan is fine when you have Colin Klein. Exactly. When you can stay in front of the sticks and get have a Pretty high success rate. Let's not forget Daniel Thomas either. Yeah, exa- right. And yeah. William Powell, for that matter. The hell? Keithan. Keithan Valentine. Now we're digging deep into the pocket. Absolutely. But, uh, no. So- oh, actually, wait a minute. Keithan Valentine had graduated, at that, I believe, at that point. I don't think he was on the team in 2010. You're right. He was 2009. 2009. Because of that Nebraska game. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, he, was, he had a good career with K-State. No question about it. Yeah, absolutely. But, oh, man, that was for the North. That was for the North. That was for, for bowl, bowl eligibility. For a possible trip to the BC or to the BCS. Yeah, we could have backed in like uh, like we're UConn or something. Where well, you know, we would have beat Texas. Oh, absolutely, that era. Colt McCoy, he broken shoulder, easily. Easily, we would have got that broken shoulder out of the way earlier for him, just a week earlier, and stuff, or a game earlier, not a week earlier, but this year, this year, regardlessly. Uh huh. Um, that. We've shown throughout this year that we cannot ugly games up and expect to win them. Mostly no. because the teams we've tried to do that against, Mississippi State and Texas. Solid against the run. They're solid against the run. Mm-hmm. And we're in, We're not a very good running team, exactly. for, for that matter. Sure. So we can't, we're not going behind the 2011-2012 offensive line. Sure. We don't have John Hubert, and we don't have Colin Klein. So we're trying to, to shoehorn... This offense, whatever it is, into being some kind of bulldozer, and where we just don't have the personnel to do that. Our offensive line isn't a good run-blocking offensive line. We don't have a bull. We have a pretty fast quarterback, but he's not going to be able to fall forward for four yards like Klein could. And so it just doesn't work, and it didn't work on Saturday, and it didn't work against Mississippi State, and it's not going to work against... Most teams in this conference might have some success against Baylor, but I but I don't even want to go down that route because it's not our offense isn't fitted for that. Sure, our offense is fitted to be almost like a pro style where we have a quarterback that can go out and throw it. We have a pretty good power running back, and so let's go out and let's run play actions and let's try to stretch the field. And then when their defenses weren't ready for that, let's pound them with Barnes. I don't think it has to be any more complicated than that. We don't have to do this crazy 1930s offense that worked in 2012 because we don't have the personnel for it. Sure. I think that's well put. Uh, and is, as frustrating as it is for, for K-State fans, and of course, you know, no doubt the coaches and players – uh, with the with the offensive struggles that we've we've endured so far this season, I do take away from this game that the second half was 
you know, a very good half of football for K-State. Uh, not only, you know, I won't say it was a great half of offense, you know, just because getting 14 points. However, I noticed a lot more fire on the defensive side of the ball, a lot more fire on the offensive side of the ball. There were some good things to build off momentum-wise, uh, but tough to take too much away when you when you drop a drop a game that you know you look back on and you think K State could have easily won this game. Absolutely, and and I agree with your point on the second half that there is reason to hope there because you start to see okay this this is an offense that can actually have some success depending on the scheme it's running and and who the quarterback is, uh, and so moving forward I think I I hope that the people in charge uh, recognize what worked on Saturday and what didn't. Um, because I know the fans certainly did, and I certainly did, and I'm sure you did. Um, and so hopefully moving forward, we stick with that formula, because I think that's the only formula that can get us to bull eligibility at this point. Well, as we wrap up uh, this review of the Texas game, it's uh, as we transition into the preview of the Baylor game. This is a game that K State is. If you have any thoughts of winning six or seven games and going to a bowl, this is a game that has to be won here with uh, with Baylor uh, going on the road to Baylor next week. Uh, all things considered, a decent matchup for K State. I feel like uh, not a great uh, not a great Baylor team gave up a what sixty six to Oklahoma last week. Uh, not a not a good defensive team at all. No one's going to confuse them for the monsters of the midway. I mean, same same team name. You know, the Bears. Yeah, you might confuse them actually. You'd be you'd be hard pressed to tell me that with with the way the monsters are playing right now on, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, but theoretically, if someone was like, "Oh, who are we playing in football this week?" Like, "Oh, the Bears." You'd be like, "Wait, are you talking about the Chiefs or the Cats?" And it's like, "Oh, the Cats." And then you're like, the, oh, "Okay, Baylor." Sorry, okay. I was confusing Baylor with Chicago. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess in that maybe, scenario, that, yeah, that, that's that could be easily confused, I suppose. But as we look back on this on this uh, game against Texas, there's still plenty of questions about the offense. Question about who's going to be the quarterback going forward. Uh, we'll touch on that here a little bit later. Uh, but that'll do it for the Texas review portion of the short side option. We'll be back after this to look ahead to Baylor here on the short side option. All right, we are back here on the short side option. Here as we look to the Wildcats' next opponent, the Baylor Bears. It'll be a 2:30 kickoff on FS1 as uh, the Wildcats take on Baylor and Waco. Uh, K-State, last time in Waco, got the W. Uh, big game, kind of a breakout game for Alex Barnes that game as, as he uh, sparked the Wildcat offense uh, after trailing at halftime to a, to a nice win as K-State kind of got, got hot late in the season that year. Let's hope that it uh, transitions the same way and happens the same way this week. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what Baylor does on the, offense, uh, on the offensive side of the ball here. Charlotte, they're led by their quarterback, Charlie Brewer. Uh, took a rough lick uh, last week against OU, where he got uh, you know hammered by a blitzer, uh, had to leave the game at that point. Cost uh, uh, cost him an additional fifteen yards because Rule uh, Matt Rule uh, got a penalty on the sideline pr- protesting that hit, and so if that tells you how ugly it was, uh, the hit was ruled legal, and after the game, 
uh, Matt Rule said, well, yeah, after watching it, it was legal. But at the time, it looked very violent. And oh, it so, was. It was no doubt a violent hit. Uh, hopefully, uh, Charlie Brewer is is okay going forward. Um, but definitely have to kind of question maybe what his availability is. Uh, pretty gnarly hit that he took there. Uh, they also have uh, Jalen McClendon, who has gotten some gotten some time this year. Uh, a guy who's you know had three touchdowns, mostly in mop up duty. Uh, but a guy that uh, you know they would feel comfortable with and who they would be going with uh, if Brewer's not able to give it a go. Uh, Baylor this year, uh, you know, kind of back in those Art Bryles days, you know, a team that was really more of a running team than I think folks would maybe think about when you think of an Art Bryles team. They would you know spread the ball out and, and throw the ball all over the yard a little bit, but. Um, Really, if you looked at those Art Bryles teams, they they had some powerful runners uh, that they would you know go with between the tackles, and they'd you know do a lot of different things with the running game. Uh, however, this year Baylor's mode of transportation is through the air. Uh, they got three very good wide receivers. Jalen Hurd, uh, the former Tennessee transfer, uh, is their leading receiver. He uh, leads them with three touchdowns on the season, uh, but also Denzel Mims and Chris Platt, not Chris Pratt, not the actor. But Chris Platt. Oh, I was going to say that. He's very, has a wide range of skills. Yeah, you know, he was, you know, an athlete, of course, in Moneyball, uh, being Scott Hatterberg. But, uh, you know, we're not fans of the A's at this point of the, uh, of the, this time of year. So we're, uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing what Baylor is going to do on the offensive side of the football. Uh, John Lovett, who is their leading rusher this year with 233 yards. Uh, he left the game against Oklahoma with a head injury, so you, you don't know exactly what his availability is going to be looking like uh, as they head into this this upcoming matchup with K-State. Yeah, Rule specifically said that he hopes he's back this week or next week. So, so not a sure thing. Definitely not a sure thing. Uh, Drew, from what you've seen of Baylor, uh, what's your impressions on him? Well, like you said, they're uh, they're one of the most prolific passing teams in the country, in fact. Uh, only five teams in the country throw it more often than they do. Um, they throw it about a 57% of the time uh, when they're on offense. Um, if you're curious, number one is Washington State, who throws it 72% of the time. That's the pirate for you. That's the pirate. Uh, 12% more than any other team. But like you, uh, also like you alluded to, yeah, they're going to be passing a lot and running a little. And when they do run, they're not very good at it. And so... Uh, had a pretty good day through the air against Oklahoma. Brewer was 38 of 60 uh, for 400 yards, uh, no interceptions, which is probably the most impressive part of that statistic when you throw the ball 60 times. But uh, obviously, the uh, the name of the game on Saturday is gonna the spotlight's gonna be on the secondary for sure, um, because they're gonna have their work cut out for them if if they're having to defend uh, 50 plus pass plays, which I think is likely. Uh, but it's encouraging if you're a K-State fan that their running game is um, so poor because I think that's where we've had the hardest time uh, this season. And so linebackers are going to – they're going to have to pitch in and help on the passing game, but hopefully the uh, the defensive line will be able to pin their ears back and maybe guys like uh, Reggie Walker and Wyatt Hubert can have a good day uh, trying to uh, – focus solely on Brewer and trying to wrangle him in the backfield. You know, one thing that I 
am really looking forward to with this matchup is how the secondary plays because these wide receivers of Baylor are you know big physical guys. Jalen uh, Jalen Hurd was actually a running back at uh, Tennessee. Uh, he wasn't. He's a six four running back. Yeah, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time because uh, they had a a future uh, NFL star in that backfield too. That wasn't wasn't even the starter at that point, but then had overtaken him with uh, Alvin Kamara. Uh, so it's an interesting transition he's taken, but he's taken to uh, a position change pretty darn well at Baylor. Yeah, he's their leading receiver this year. He's caught thirty one passes for four hundred and fifteen yards, and so. He's uh he's been Brewer's favorite target this year, and, and he's a physical guy. I mean, obviously, you know, six four, and also having been a running back, not a guy that will shy away from contact. Uh, with K State's smaller uh, running back or defensive backs, rather, be interested to see how that uh, how that matchups exploited. What I want to see is I want to see Eli Walker and uh, and uh, Mister Hurd. Get uh, get downhill at each other. I want to. I would. I'd pay money to see that collision. Yeah, maybe bring your goggles because that's there's going to be some explosive hits there. Um, but then don't forget about Denzel Mims too. He uh, he's another prototypical Baylor wide receiver. It's, it seems like they always have these giant uh, wide receivers who will be able to stretch the field on you. He's had a good uh, good season as well. He's caught uh, 24 balls for 359 yards. And he was actually Brewer's favorite target against Oklahoma on Saturday when he caught 11 passes uh, for upwards of 120 yards or so. And so uh, Baylor's got a lot of weapons on the edges that they really rely on. Well, with that being said, kind of as we've talked about, Baylor's wanting to go through the air. They've got good wide receivers to do it with. How do you think this matchup plays uh, for the K-State defense? Well, I like the matchup, actually. Um, you know, when you have a team that passes is so much, um, like Baylor, uh, you have a team like K-State, a defense like K-State's, where I actually like our secondary. I think that's been the best unit for K-State. So you're in a position where Baylor's strength is... Uh, K-State's strength on defense. And if you're the defense, that's exactly what you want to do. I, it's the opposite for if you're, if you're on the offensive side. If you're a great running team, you hope the defense has a lousy running defense. And so from a, from a matchup perspective, I think this is actually very favorable to K-State. Um, and the, the numbers suggest it is too. It's K-State's defense through the air this year has been better relatively than they have been against the run. One thing I would ask you, and we talked about this in the West Virginia uh, edition of our podcast when we were looking forward to that game, how do you think K-State is best suited to play this game schematically in terms of what they want to do? Do we heat up Charlie uh, Brewer, or do we you know, play more of that bid but don't break style and make him uh, you know, let him move the ball a little bit between uh, you know, the 20 to about the, to the K-State 35, 40-yard line, and then tighten up there and do, be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more exotic with what we want to do defensively? Or uh, do we just kind of heat them up right from the get-go? Well, I think this is a game where when, when you know, when you have a team that is so one-dimensional and gets, has success to the degree they have any success solely through one part of their offense... Uh, like Baylor, when they run the ball, when which is rare, 
they don't have much success with it. So any yards they get, there's a high likelihood it's coming through the passing game. Uh, when you have a scenario like that, I do think it makes a lot of sense to sit back in coverage and let your front four try and get pressure to the degree they can. And so I would look for K-State to, to really sit back in coverage this week, even though we have shown a tendency to be more aggressive on defense. But I think against a team like Baylor, it makes sense to, to sit back, play coverage, and see how patient Charlie Brewer can be. Yeah, I think that, you know, with K-State not being, uh, not being especially deep in the secondary, I feel like that it could cause some matchup concerns if we just go lock up with the guys. Also, in terms of, uh, in terms of the size disparity between our cornerbacks uh, and their wide receivers, something to keep an eye on. I, I agree with you though. I think the best uh, the best strategy is to to mix it up, be multiple with your defensive pressures, and uh, how you're playing coverage. And not let Charlie Brewer get too comfortable back there. Make him, make him a little bit frustrated if he's not able to, you know, hit that big play down the seam right to start off the drive and get rolling and get some tempo. Uh, but frustrate him, make them, make them kind of look around and have to take those two-yard dumps, dump offs if they have to, to 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 move the ball offensively. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think that's uh, probably the most. Uh, likely scenario for our defensive uh, game plan. So as we transition here to what K-State has to do offensively, what, if I'm giving you the uh, the headset, so to speak, what, uh, what's D-Lou calling uh, for this K-State offense? What, uh, what does K-State need to be, what does K-State need to do to be successful in this game offensively against Baylor? Well, I don't think it takes an offensive mastermind to uh, – to outclass this Baylor defense because they're probably just about the worst in the conference. Um, and they're lousy against the run, and they're not much better against the pass, as you saw against uh, Oklahoma on Saturday. And so, uh, But for me, I think that uh, it makes sense for Skyler to come out and for us to build on what we started on uh, in the second half against Texas come out and uh, run the ball with Barnes because just by being in the game, Baylor is going to have to respect the pass to some degree. Um, and I expect Barnes to be able to have some more room with Thompson like we saw in the second half against Texas. Uh, but Baylor's a defense that will really come out and try to almost shades of Phil Bennett uh, in the early 2000s for K-State. They are going to blitz all day long. That's what their defensive coordinator does. Um, and so I think a guy like Skyler back there, like we alluded to earlier in our review of the Texas game, I think he's better suited to handle the blitz because he can punish teams downfield so long as he's uh, getting enough protection or he can dump it off to the intermediate routes if he's quick enough there. And against a team like Baylor and unlike a team like Texas, I think K-State can take advantage of these blitzes on the ground and just either run away from the blitzes or run through them, run past them. Sure. And, you know, when you look back at the, the Mississippi State game, also West Virginia comes to mind too. Texas to a little bit of a lesser degree. It seemed pretty clear what, most notably against Mississippi State, they were just loading up the box and blitzing. 
as they wanted to they wanted to you know make either quarterback whether it was Delton when he was in or Thompson uh, beat them you know under duress. I feel like this is a matchup where we'll see some of that same type of defensive pressure where they will be blitzing as well. You know, indicative of what uh, what has worked against K State so far this year and with what Baylor's defensive profile is so far this year. Absolutely. I mean, Phil Snow, Baylor's defensive coordinator, he his mo is just blitz and blitz and blitz. Is and he related to Phil Bennett? Notice the same first name. No, he's related to Phil Collins though. Ooh. He just knows Phil Bennett. Okay. Um, Big Phil Collins fan. Absolutely. But the interesting thing about Phil Snow is uh, he's just going to blitz all day. And, and there's not a team in the conference that will blitz more than Baylor does. That's just what they do. And so uh, you know that when they're reviewing film this week, they're licking their chops against K-State's offense because they, they watch uh, our offensive performances and how we've really crumbled against some of these uh, blitz-heavy defenses, uh, that he's going to say, oh, this works against K-State, and this happens to be what we do, so our defense should be suited to stop K-State's already pretty unimpressive offense. But, uh, you know, if if Thompson can come out and be effective through the air and just be good enough to get them to respect the pass a little bit, even if, you know, even if we aren't having a ton of success with it, then I think that that should open things up for Barnes. And uh, I do expect us to have some success through the air because one way to beat the Blitz is just to uh, outpass it. Yep. Just, you know, West or with West Virginia, K-State didn't have much success moving the ball through the air, didn't have much success through Mississippi State moving the ball through the air. But I thought through t- with uh, the Texas game, especially in the second half, they did have some success. Even in the first half, got a couple – uh, pass interference calls on on Texas as they were out of position uh, on a few deep passes by Alex Delton. I would expect to see K State uh, do a little bit of, of the same there and, and, and try to uh, try to stretch the field, especially with Skylar Thompson there at quarterback. I I, I completely agree with you there. Yep. So, and well, and one more oh, thing. One more thing uh, is I'm looking at some of these. You know, we're five games into the season now. Some of these statistics are starting to be a little bit more meaningful in terms of season-long statistics. K-State's uh, offensive sack rate, the rate at which they get sacked, 113th in the country. Uh, and that's uh, that's a stat you want to be low in because they get sacked just about more than uh, any team in the country there. And so you you know that when Baylor's looking at this, they're saying, sure. oh, this is going to be great. And one thing, you would look at that sack rate and you'd say, oh, well, you know, whoever's the quarterback doesn't have time to throw. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Uh, I think Alex Delton, uh, when he was, you know, in there uh, playing quarterback, he does not handle pressure well. I don't think Skylar Thompson does either. And I don't think it's necessarily because of, oh, you know, after a second and a half, I'm already under pressure and, you know, I have no place to go with the ball. It seems to me that Skylar Thompson gets a little bit flustered back there, and I think that just comes with time, uh, you know, getting more comfortable in the pocket. But it, it could be something – it's definitely something to keep an eye on. If if Baylor's living in K-State's backfield, it's going to be a tough night. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and another thing to remember is K-State's played – a few 
really good defenses in the first half of their uh, in the first half of their season so far. I mean, Mississippi State obviously a great front seven. Texas obviously a great front seven, and West Virginia solid, solid, very, sorry, and, very solid. And they run some interesting things there on defense. And the three three five look allows for some exotic looks out of that too, which. You know, it's not something you see often, too. It's been nowhere else you see it in the Big 12. Yeah, and so you see some odd man fronts, but not necessarily the uh, three three five. And so uh, just something to keep an eye on is uh, K-State has uh, not been great protecting the quarterback this year, uh, or at least they've given up a lot of sacks, whether that's skittishness whether- on the quarterback's part or uh, the offensive line being porous. Uh, but Baylor's going to try to go out there and exploit that, and so just something to keep an eye on. So with that being said, i got a couple questions for you. Hit me. Over under 185 and a half yards. I'm giving you the half there because there's no such – I'm not letting you push here. Okay. Uh, okay. 185 and a half yards passing for K-State's quarterbacks. <laughs> As opposed to K-State's uh, left tackle? Well, no, I was just saying Skylar Thomas or Alex Dalton. Oh, for either quarterback. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm throwing the well, okay. also as opposed to left tackle too. If, <laughs> yeah. if we want to get, if we want to get really creative, I was gonna say unless Ron Prince is, uh, you know, wearing the headset, I don't uh, think he's he, drooling. He, oh, he he listens to the short side, and and I just know that uh, Ron don't get any crazy ideas. That was a joke, uh, Chris. To answer your question, over. I think over. I think okay. this is gonna be a, a game where. Uh, K-State is going to have to uh, probably rely on the pass, and it's against a defense that gives up plenty of passing yards. Um, I don't have their Oklahoma numbers in front of me at the moment, but I know that uh, you know if you get Kyler Murray score 66 points, he's probably putting up an obscene 432 number. yards passing yeah. for Oklahoma. That on uh, how many attempts? Uh, 21 attempts. Uh, four of them were incomplete. He had more touchdowns and incompletions. So that lends itself to a pretty uh, uh, good QB rating. Yeah, his QBR, if you are if you uh, subscribe to that uh, from ESPN, pedestrian 99.3 out of 100. So, yeah, OU was able to do whatever they wanted against uh, Baylor through the air, through the ground, really averaging over 5.5 yards of carry. However, this, this K-State offense isn't in the same stratosphere as the OU offense. I do want to transition a little bit here uh, to looking at the running game. We talked about Alex Barnes having to play a key role uh, if K-State's going to come out on top this Saturday. Uh, over under 99.5 yards rushing for Alex Barnes against Baylor. And I, I will back up real quick. I also agree with you. I think K-State will throw for over 185.5 yards against Baylor. Uh. Yeah, I think uh, I think Barnes will get over. I'm I'm pretty bullish on uh, our our uh, offense this week, just because Baylor's defense, God love them, they they do some interesting stuff. Um, but their running defense is horrible, uh, and uh, if if we can't get Barnes, what was the number? Hundred. Yeah, just hundred yards rushing. So I can't push this. No, you can't. It's not. I've said nine, 99 oh, and a half. Okay. But yes. No, I think for all intents and purposes, hundred yards. I think Barnes is going to come out. I I really expect K State to have its uh, best offensive performance of the season, save for UTSA. So, last but not least, we'll go to the defensive side of the ball. Does the defense force over or under a turnover and a half? Icon, uh, I'm going to say under. 
Okay. Our, our defense hasn't been great at uh, turnovers this year. Now, a lot of people, we've talked about this before, a lot of people will say, oh, turnovers are a product of luck. Mm, yes and no. Uh, better defenses tend to uh, generally tend to force more turnovers um, than worse defenses. Uh, but I, I see uh, maybe a turnover. I don't think uh, I just... Hard to tell, but I see us uh, forcing one turnover this weekend. What about you? I'm gonna go also under as well. I think uh, we get a we get a turnover. Uh, I'm gonna go an interception. I think uh, Duke Shelley's due for one. Yeah, what do you think about that. I think he is due. I, I think, think he, that's I think a great he's past due. I think he's overdue. Yeah, me too. So we'll go with Duke Shelley getting an interception here uh, in this week's game. And the final question I ask for you is, what's the score going to be on Saturday? K-State's – I really expect K-State to win this game. Oh, um, okay. So, forget the four and a half points. You're – we're going no, with sprinkle that. it. Forget the four – actually, don't even bother. Sprinkle the whole thing. It, this is a K-State win. Um, and if it's not, then things have gone horribly, horribly wrong because I like the matchup. I think we're a better team. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why the four and a half – I understand why the line was there. I expected it to be roughly four, three and a half, I think. Um, but this is one that I see a lot of advantages for K-State, save for the game being in Waco. Sure. Uh, maybe maybe we'll lose our minds down there. But but if... Well, you know, it's not like we're going to Floyd Casey Stadium. I mean, oh. this is, this, this, we're at the toilet bowl in, in, uh, in McLean Stadium. Yeah, Floyd was... Uh, Floyd Casey was... a. Uh, Different animal. I yeah. mean, when that place that, got rocking. Well, that when you have to look into that tarp, it's intimidating. It's intimidating. This is bear country. Well, we went. You and I went down to Floyd Casey Stadium, didn't we? Were you on that trip? I was not on that trip. Ah, too bad. Um, it was. Let me tell you, that environment. I think that was in a uh, 2010. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, they they that was a big deal because they uh, they got, got the bowl, bowl eligibility bowl that day. Eligibility That's that exactly day. right. Um, and boy, they just were blaring when the Saints go marching in. That, that song is just burned into my memory. Mm-hmm. But uh, long story short, no, I see K-State winning this game. I think the offense gets it going. I think uh, the defense does well enough to bottle up uh, Charlie Brewer. Uh, I see K-State winning this game 38 to, uh, to 27. 38? We're putting up 30. This is a team that we – well, hell, Oklahoma put up 66 last week. They could have named their number. Yeah, and so this – yeah, 38. 38. K-State – yeah, that's right. Thirty-eight. If you bet on K State this weekend to, to uh, on the money line, throw the over too. You're going to be seeing dollar signs. That's right, baby. BCS. BCS. That's right. I said it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so I, I like that pick. I like it a lot. You should go and uh, get that offense on the right track here. As it's uh, the right time to play Baylor if you're if you're K State. Does what you saw in the second half against Texas give you confidence that you know? What success we did have in the, in the second half against Texas, does that give you some confidence going in? Well, yeah, and that's assuming that our coaches are, are rational, that, that they saw that's that and they're going to... Well, that they saw the results and they saw what we all saw and that they're going to change uh, their their decisions accordingly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, if, if my prediction is uh, conditioned on Thompson being the quarterback for... Uh, the game, but uh, even with Delton, I think that 
Baylor's defense is so bad that it, it's going to be hard for them to do anything. So what was what was your final again? You had K-State 38. What you have Baylor at? I had Baylor at 27. 38-27. So uh, a two-possession victory for K-State. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, what about you? What's your number? Uh, I'm going to go K-State is going to win this game as well. I'm going 34-31. So uh, similarly, you know, where we're at in terms of the – the overall point score here in this game, I do think K-State's going to have some success running the ball uh, this week against Baylor, which is going to play, you know, is going to pay a lot of dividends here. Of course, being able to be uh, multi-dimensional on offense is always, uh, you know, a key to success, as well as keeping that Baylor offense off the field and uh, disrupting their rhythm a little bit. But yeah, I like K-State 34-31 over the Baylor Bears. Uh, Baylor uh, gets a nice drive going uh, towards the end of the game, but a missed field goal seals their fate. Mm. And K-State gets back on the right side here against the Baylor Bears. And we're both predicting uh, that they even their win-loss record on the season uh, to, to move to 3-3 three and three here as uh, they welcome Oklahoma State the following week uh, for an 11 o'clock kickoff. Uh, but yeah, we both see this game the, the same way here. We see that K State, uh, you know, should be able to do something offensively. The Baylor offense kind of, you know, matches up well with what K State does defensively, and with the way the defense is playing, you have to feel pretty good about how that unit's performed, uh, really all season. Uh, you know, save for the the West Virginia game, which I give them a pretty well pass on because when the offense is going three and out and giving, you know a high-powered attack like what West Virginia possesses. With a Heisman. With a Heisman front-running quarterback. I mean, a guy that's right up there for the Heisman. That's a tall task, especially on the road against against a team like West Virginia. So we both see K-State winning this game. You 38-27, me 34-31. We both like the underdog. Winnie Howells. So we like like K-State in this game, and... Uh, should be a should be an exciting game though. It won't be won't be easy for K State, uh, but uh, we both like them to get it done. As we uh, transition now into uh, the next part, uh, after this, we'll be back with your uh, with your questions on Ask the Icon, and we'll also highlight a former Wildcat legend. After this, on the short side option. Down to stop the clock for a first down. Grips to the near side, back to throw L. Down the middle of the field looking for Ricky Lloyd. Makes it over the shoulder, catch! Touchdown, Ricky Lloyd! Birds, Oklahoma down the scene, and Kansas State puts six points on the board. Welcome back here to the short side option, where this week we are getting into another edition of the week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend is a wide receiver. Okay. He's from the decade of dominance. Oh, okay. But okay. his best year was the worst year in the decade of dominance, which is 2001. Okay. In Do you know who it is yet? Could be anybody. I, I, I've got a couple couple names that are <laughs> that are coming to mind here. All right. I'll just tell you. It's Ricky Lloyd, baby. Oh, Ricky Lloyd. Mr. Lloyd. Uh, Ricky Lloyd was a great wide receiver for K-State and had a Bit of an interesting story about how he got to Manhattan. Uh, after high school, played football in high school, obviously. After high school, he actually took a year off uh, to work to help raise his child. Oh, okay. And after that, he uh, attended uh, community college. 
and uh, found his way to Kansas State. Um, and there's one game in particular. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where you're going with this. Where am I going? Going with the 2001 Oklahoma game, which, unfortunately, K-State lost. Uh, first game, I believe, coming back after 9-11, after, uh, after that tragedy. And uh, it was a great game between two teams that looked like they were, they were destined to meet uh, in Kansas City that year uh, for the Big 12 championship game. But, uh, unfortunately, K-State did not hold up their end of the bargain there. No, and that game gave a lot of K-State fans a uh, reason to hope. But um, Ricky Lloyd, he had just a dynamite season that year, too. He caught uh, played, in all, played in 11 games that year, caught 20, uh, 20 passes for 306 yards. And so, Drew, I'd like to interrupt you here. Uh, Oklahoma also did not hold up there into the bargain, and I also misspoke. That game was not in Kansas City. That was uh, Texas year. That right? was in a... Uh, Cowboy Stadium in, in Irving, Texas, and uh, that was uh, that was Texas, Colorado. Great game. Oh yeah, because that was the game that happened right after that uh, Nebraska, Colorado game. The that, Big Red Massacre. That's right, and uh, Nebraska obviously had that uh, championship championship week off uh, before they went to the national title game against uh, Ken Dorsey and the Hurricanes. Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, back to Ricky Lloyd. Like I said, uh, phenomenal year. 20 receptions for uh, 306 yards uh, and three scores, one of which uh, was uh, that big score against Oklahoma uh, thrown by uh, sophomore L. Roberson. Uh, Any other great memories from uh, this Wildcat legend, Chris? You know, that Oklahoma catch was a a play that kept K-State in that game, allowed uh, K-State... to, to cut that lead to to a three-point game after getting the two-point conversion in that game. And uh, Brent Musburger was calling that game along with side Gary Danielson. And uh, I remember he said after uh, that touchdown, hello, onside kick. This game's not over. Of course, K-State did not kick the onside kick. <laughs> well, so, so Brent, uh, Brent uh, spoke maybe a yeah. bit too soon there, but uh, that was a great game. Uh, you know, a game really that if you're looking at it from a K-State perspective, a game that you thought could have easily gone the other way. Oh, that's great. Hello, onside kick. We have a ball game. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, onside so kick. So you might think, This baby's not over. Yeah, and then what? Oklahoma, they took a safety towards the we, end of that game. We kicked game. it deep. We held them three and out. They ran enough time off uh, to where they, uh, they took a safety. They had a free kick it to us. They free kicked it out of bounds. So K-State was in business here. Getting the ball at the 40, not a lot of time left. Uh, K-State uh, tried marching it down the field, uh, and then a, a late uh, L. Roberson Hail Mary uh, came up short of the end zone, and uh, K-State lost that game uh, 31 or 37 to 38. Excuse me. Well, devastating uh, loss there for K-State, but uh, a legendary game and a legendary uh, season for Ricky and. Uh, um, I don't know if there's any other uh, words to describe Ricky other than uh, this week's Wildcat legend. So we'll uh, move now into our final segment, um, a little segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can pose their questions to uh, the short side options, very own icon, Chris Sork. Uh, Those questions can be posed to uh, us on Twitter at TSSO underscore 
podcast. Uh, this week, our mailbox was very full. A lot of K-State fans had thoughts and questions after, uh, after K-State's loss to Texas. Uh, and we'll begin with J-Law at Bunny Slopes. He asks, Would you trade losing a losing basketball season this year for Seth Luttrell or Venables as head coach, effective at the end of their respective seasons? Well, that's a great question. A little bit off the wall, I like it. That's uh, that makes me makes me think here a little bit. But uh, to answer his question, I'm going to have to begrudgingly say yes because I have long wanted Brent Venables to be the next head coach at K State. I remember when uh, Coach Snyder uh, retired for the first time. Uh, well, I guess the only time he's really retired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's been so his far. first so far his first time anyway. Hopefully, uh, it's not. Well, we'll find out how he. How he goes, but, but sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. Uh, but I remember I wanted Brent Venables to take over uh, instead of uh, of Ron Prince. That was the guy who I had had set my hopes on uh, to be the next head coach of K State. Uh, so I've wanted Brent Venables uh, since I guess uh, 2005, 2006 uh, time frame. So uh, 12, 13 years overdue. But uh, if it takes a losing season by the basketball team, which I do not think is going to happen by any stretch of the imagination, I think K-State's going to find themselves back in the Sweet 16, maybe back in the Elite Eight, maybe even further this year for for Bruce and the guys. Uh, We're very excited for the basketball season. But uh, at the possibility of getting Brent Venables wearing, uh, trading in that, uh, that Clemson paw print, for a, a nice power cat on that purple polo, that's uh, that's something I'm willing to entertain. All right, our next question comes from S.L. Keck, who uh, delivered a uh, machine gun of questions this week, which we appreciate. Let me uh, hear him. He is at S.L. Keck. Uh, he says, first, as football-only fans, at what point do you start looking forward to and getting excited about basketball this season? When does it usually happen? Well... I feel like I've been unfairly pigeonholed a little bit here by by Mr. SL Keck here because uh, you know while well, you know while we both love K State football, I I love K State basketball. I've had a great connection with K State basketball over the years, and uh, I, I I'm never not looking forward to basketball season. Uh, this season, of course, with uh, uh, Bruce and the gang coming a, just a game short of going to the Final Four. Expectations are high. Uh, they're definitely not doing anything to, to temper those expectations by the way uh, they're talking this offseason. Uh, so you can expect me to be looking forward to basketball season uh, all the time. And in terms of we, we also uh, had a question uh, regarding what uh, our coverage will be during basketball season. If we're, we're, we're strictly a football podcast or if we cover everything in I'm pleased to inform you that we'll be covering everything, and we have some really fun plans uh, looking forward here to, uh, to the basketball season, which we'll get into uh, here in a little bit of a later time. Steve's next, uh, SL Keck's next question is, do you think Coach Seiler is doing a good job? What kind of job do you think he could get next year if he were to leave? Okay, that, that is a good question. Uh, and I do think uh, Coach Seiler has done, a, has done a pretty darn good job with this defense. I would say you'd have to – You'd have to say of the new coordinators, he's been by far the best uh, from when you look at the what the offensive side of the ball, the overhaul that's gone on the offensive side of the ball with the offensive coordinators uh, to what's gone on with him as at the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think he's done a great job. Uh, I think K-State's done a better job of being aggressive in certain situations, disguising things 
uh, from from a blitzing perspective. I can't tell you how frustrating it was for me when uh, an opposing team would go to the line and audible, and K State would just set their let them audible and not change anything. They've done a better job of that as well. Uh, done a better job of showing those blitzes late, not making it painfully obvious to where uh, everyone in the stadium know either that we're blitzing or that we're not blitzing. So I, I give Blake Seiler high marks. Uh, as for what he would be able to uh, to get for a job if he left, still a young guy, only one year of, of defensive coordinator experience. I wouldn't expect he would be able to be a defensive coordinator at another Power 5 level. Uh, but you know he certainly acquitted himself very well this year in his first season. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, don't forget about Coach Norwood. Yeah, absolutely, he's another, he's absolutely. New blood. Defensive defensive coordinators have, have been. Uh, I have no complaints about what uh, Coach Norwood or Coach Seiler has, has done so far this season. All right, and at SL Keck's third question is: Would you take Scott Frost as head coach if Nebraska were to fire him this season? He pref or he conditions it saying, "I know how unlikely it is uh, he would get fired." Yes, I would have absolutely no problem taking uh, Scott Frost as the next head coach. I think it's beyond minuscule that that would that situation would present itself. But uh, for those that may not be aware, Scott Frost uh, was a graduate assistant here at K State once upon a time, so he does have a tie to K State. Uh, don't think he's going to get fired after a season. However, uh, I know several Nebraska fans, and it's not looking good up there uh, for our friends up in Lincoln. Our next question comes from a Twitter user who calls himself hashtag Snyder out. Uh, he is at huh. E underscore S for KSU. He asks a question uh, related to his namesake. How do you see Snyder's time at K-State ending? Timeline, terms, replacement. Man, that's a loaded question. Uh, timeline, if you put a gun to my head, I would say Coach Snyder is the coach at the start of the 2019 season. So I think he will not. I think he will be back next year, uh, barring anything unforeseen on my part. Uh, and what was the second part? He time or timeline terms? Does he get fired? Does he get forced out? Does he retire? Well, I don't think he's going to get fired, but I think it might be a bit of a mix of the resign, force out, however you want to phrase it. You know, it's kind of similar to the Bobby Bowden thing. I believe I read an article that had. Uh, had kind of shed some light on exactly how that all went down. He said uh, the athletic director at the time, and his name escapes me at Florida State, said, Bobby, you've got two options. We can make you an honorary head coach, which means you're still the head coach, but you have absolutely no power. Or when your contract is up here at the end of the season – we're not going to renew it. So that that the first part of that equation really essentially is is not an option uh, for a guy that's as proud as Coach Bowden is. So it, that essentially is a force out, and I don't necessarily foresee uh, Gene Taylor pr- presenting those same options to Coach Snyder. But uh, that's that's one thing that I think is interesting too when you when you start talking about how how the terms of of whenever Coach Snyder leaves, uh, how it will how it will all shake out. And our, our last questions on oh, and also I didn't answer his his replacement last replacement. You have to set your sights on the top. You have to set your sights at Brent Venables. 
So, so we'll go with that. Going with that, I like we'll it. We'll go with that. Uh, our next question comes from Twitter user Justin Brownlee, uh, at Brownlee Justin. He asks, uh, kind of piggybacking off the last one, does Gene have the power to force Bill out? Have you expected... Uh, he has a few. So we'll start with that. Does Gene have the power? Well, certainly I don't have any idea what... Uh, you know, Obviously he has the power to. He's the athletic director. He is Bill Snyder's boss. Whether he feels like he can make that move without experiencing backlash inside the athletic department or with the university president, that I quite don't have the knowledge of. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say probably no, he does not. Because in terms of in terms of what drives an athletic department, it's the donors. And the donors that are signing the biggest checks are, are tight with Snyder. And barring something really – I mean, if K-State doesn't win another game this season, that could be – that could be, but that's not happening because they're winning this week, right? Yeah, that's what we so, said. So, uh, but barring something you know drastic or uh, you know something along those lines, where K State goes three and nine, four and eight, whatever the case is, uh, I I don't know if, if uh, Gene Taylor's built up enough equity with the donors, with the administrations at this point, uh, to be able to to make such a uh, such a sweeping change. Uh, Justin's next question is, have you expected the fan-slash-media backlash we've seen this season? No, I did not. Uh, I thought KC was going to be pretty darn good this year. I said 10-2. That went to went down the drain pretty quick. Uh, I think I think most K-State fans thought this team was going to be pretty darn salty, though. 7-5, and 8-4 was kind of... 7-5 and five would have been looked at as kind of the, the minimal part for an acceptable season. And, well, I think what Justin's getting at is, given the results, sure. are you surprised to see the, oh, the oh, swelling okay. of anger for a two in, for the seasons so far? Hmm. You know, I would say... I would say I'm a little bit surprised by the media backlash a little bit. And not to discredit, but this is the most critical I've seen the media... Of uh, of a K State football team, in, in some time, in 2015, which is one of our worst seasons in in recent memory, I think there was an understanding that this team got dealt a rough hand with with Ertz going out on the second play of the season, and with you know a pretty inexperienced team, especially coming off of a of a nine and three season the year before, uh, with a senior laid inexperienced team, there was the expectation this was going to be a rebuilding year in 2015. This year, K State was expected to, you know, enter the conversation as a, as a possible contender for the conference title, and that's certainly has not happened. So I would say I'm a, I'm a bit surprised with the um, with the media backlash, fan backlash. Nothing really surprises me uh, because with the fans, I mean, you got people that are invested in this, whether it's, you know their time and their their financial commitment in terms of, you know, season tickets, hotels coming up to the games. So when your team's two and three and in uh, in two of those losses were pretty well non competitive in, in those games against Mississippi State and um, and West Virginia, of course they were competitive last week against Texas, but when you even look at the win against South Dakota, uh, the grumbling started there uh, as it took 
uh, it was a sloppy game, and it took a, a comeback to uh, to put away South Dakota uh, for the games for, for the season's first win. So, not surprised really by with how the fans and media have reacted so far. All right, our next question comes from Brady. He asks, uh, "What do you make of Travis Tannehill's comments about uh, Bill wanting to play Samuel Lemur over Colin Klein uh, back in 2011?" Well, that was an interesting tweet, which had since been deleted by uh, Travis Tannehill. But anytime you get a little bit of an inside look uh, from someone who was there and someone who uh, has some pretty intimate knowledge of of the program, it, it's interesting. But, um, yeah, very surprised to see that, for sure. No question. That's something that I don't remember ever hearing, ever I, I'm not saying that it's not correct. I'm not discounting that. But. Do you think that says something about Bill's uh, ability to evaluate quarterbacks? Well, it's funny you mention that because in 2011, K-State recruited uh, Justin Tuggle as a junior college quarterback. That's right. And he never got a chance to play quarterback, really. I think he was quarterback for the spring. And then he was transitioned to uh, a linebacker and and didn't really get. I don't think he played really at all in 2011, but was a was a you know a pretty significant member of that 2012 team. So for me, I, I don't take too much too much stock into that really. Klein was too much of a different beast. Yeah, and he. I mean, obviously the success. I mean, Klein took pretty well control of that uh, starting position. Uh, from the word go, so I, I think it made his decision pretty easy. I I don't take much take much stock into that. All right, and our final question this week for the icon comes from friend of the show, Big Dog in Madison. Uh, Big Dog writes: Describe the current state of the program in one word. And she or he made sure to uh, direct her question specifically to the icon and not to Delu. We got on them last week for not for for leaving the direction of the question exactly not. It's, it's it was too broad last week it, it asked both of us but this week it was specifically uh for the icon which is what this segment's all about right that's the namesake okay so uh, obviously they have heated our heated your word absolutely it's, it's great to hear uh our listeners uh giving um the show and the segment, the proper respect. That it deserves. The right, rightfully deserves. Absolutely. And to answer uh, Big Dog and Madison's question, I'm going to have to say the best word I can uh, use to describe the current state of K-State's football program is not calm. So that's two words, but it's a phrase. So I'm going to go with that. Not calm. Not like, like as in maybe chaotic? Wouldn't go as far as chaotic. How about rocky? Disturbed. Disturbed. Sorry, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Actually. No, no, no problem, no problem. But I would say uh, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll honor the question, and we'll say rocky, rocky. Not you unsettled. Know, unsettled. Unsettled waters is what is what we're uh, we're experiencing right now. So that's uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the short side options. Great questions. Uh, hear from our listeners. We thank you so much for submitting those questions uh, via Twitter. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Short Side Option. 
Uh, we'll be back next week to review uh, the game against Baylor. Hopefully a K-State win. We're both calling for it. Uh, d Lou's got it 38-27. I've got it 34-31. So we'll see how close we were on our predictions. And uh, we'll be back next week to uh, look ahead to homecoming. Uh, K-State welcomes uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys uh, to Manhattan for an 11 o'clock kickoff. Uh, should be a good atmosphere, of course, of midnight in Manhattan. Uh, the, the basketball kickoff will be on Friday night, so hope uh, to see lots of faces there as well. Uh, for Chris Sork and d Thanks for listening to this edition of The Short Side Option. Oh, 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 oh